And welcome to Sunday Coffee here in downtown Starkville, Mississippi at the Southeastern Sports Group Studios. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. And before we go any further, we're brought to you by Cannon Ford of Starkville. Cannon Ford, check them out for a new or used car. If you need your daughter a new car, yeah, my daughter is 16. I just had to buy her a new car. Cannon Ford of Starkville, go by on Highway 182 just east of Starkville, and they'll get you fixed up. Chris Keene and the fine folks over there. Use the body shop if you've had a fender bender or service center. If you need an oil change, great folks, and they do a great job at Cannon Ford of Starkville. Mississippi State has won the first two in Baton Rouge this weekend, so Charlie and I normally get together on Sunday morning, and sometimes the coffee tastes good. Sometimes the coffee tastes terrible. Today, the coffee tastes great. Dogs have won the first two this weekend, 6-1 to one on Friday, then 3 to nothing yesterday. And so, hey, Charlie, this doesn't happen a whole lot. And I think that's kind of why this is almost like beating Ole Miss in football, those Stansberry days of – beating Alabama in, in basketball, this this just feels good. It's more like a solar eclipse. That's how rare it is to go down to LSU and take two out of three to shut them out the way we did. This is kind of new territory. It's been a long time since Mississippi State had a shutout in Baton Rouge. Yeah, we were kind of looking through that this morning. When's the last time? 1985? Jeff Brantley, is that right? That had a shutout. They pitched a shutout, and you got to put an asterisk by that because it was seven innings. And so we we kind of stopped. I mean, we were going back in the 70s. We were trying to figure out when the last time we had a nine-inning shutout down in Baton Rouge. But there's a lot of things, a lot of superlatives about what's happened the last two days. You look back to 2016, we won the first two down there. That was the year we won the, the SEC championship. And then the Sunday game, LSU came back and won. One of the series we remember is 1989. We won the first two down there, won a doubleheader against LSU. That was that famous, you know, John Cohen home run and Bianco's catching. Ben McDonald was pitching. We won the first two, and then LSU won the Sunday game. And so it just it's a rare feat to win the first two in Baton Rouge. And so what was the year that we didn't play the Sunday game? That was in 2002. That was Polk's first year back. We won on Friday night like. 15 to 3, 15 to 4, and LSU ran through all their pitchers on Friday. And then on Saturday, they came back and won. You remember this? And then on Sunday, we got up, and it wasn't even raining on Sunday. It had rained Saturday night, and I think Smoke Laval was a coach. And Smoke says, Hey, it's too wet. We can't play. And so they didn't play the game on Sunday simply because LSU was out of pitchers. We'd split the series. In 2002, yeah, that was Polk's first year back. It was almost like, all right, Polk's back in the SEC. We're going we're gonna to nudge him just a little bit. We're going to get him fired up, riled up. And then one of the things we look back at, too, is when's the last time we swept LSU in Baton Rouge? When was that? 1981. Wow. 1981. And to give you an idea on – you know, you go back to 1981. Who were the big players in that weekend? You had Don Mundy, Alan Morlock, Steve Susie pitching. Mike Kelly? You had Mike Kelly on those teams. Uh, one of the guys that had a big game on Sunday was Steve Diercole, who we always like yeah. talking about. He went three for four. Winkler went three for four. And so, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting how long it has been. By the way, I'm going to jump completely off topic one second. Because you mentioned Mike Kelly. I saw you got a tweet last night. I, I was going to say that. I was actually going to pick that up right there when you said Mike Kelly. I got a guy that tweeted me last night when Skinner was running down the first base, and he said, hey, 
is Skinner the fastest guy? Is Braylon Skinner the fastest guy that you can remember? And I tweeted back at him, I would love to see a foot race between Braylon Skinner and Jacob Robson. And it got me thinking, you know, about some of the fast guys. And I thought about Mike Kelly. You know, Mike Kelly back in 1981, you know, some of the, the old-timers, I hate to say, you know, the John Carreros of the world, will tell you that uh, the Kelly was just super fast. I got to thinking about Derek Armstrong, Grant Hogue. Remember Grant Hogue? Grant Hogue was a very good center fielder for Mississippi State early in John Cohen's time here. He was a guy that fit what John Cohen wanted to do. Yeah, he kind of had that football kind of mentality, really tough kid, but, boy, he could run. Did he have 30 stolen bases? He had 29. 20, he was right at it. I knew he was right at yeah, it. Yeah, the only guy we've ever had go over 30, or to reach 30 for that matter, was Van Cleve. Dan Van Cleve had 38. Was that in 85? 85? Yeah, and, of course, we played well played 65 games that year. So, But Winkler and Clipstein, they had some pretty good stolen base years, didn't they? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, though. You go back and you look at Ron Polk's early years. We ran a ton. I'm sure a lot of that had to do with catching that was in the league yeah. around that time. It's gotten a lot better. Mike Kelly had a bunch. You mentioned Grant Hogue, John Shave, Jake Mangum. But I, I think you nailed it, though. I would love to go back and see Robson. Uh, Damian Siano. Damian uh, Siano, and that was one of the names I used last night, and John Mooney, our good friend, former manager. Where's John live? Out in Texas? Yeah. And John says that Damian Siano and Marceau, the pitcher we saw yesterday, same high school. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Anyway, we're playing LSU. All right, so let's go back and look at Friday night. Bulldogs win 6-1. to one. Christian McLeod goes six innings of work, one run, three hits. Here's what's crazy about it when you start thinking about it. Christian McLeod, from all we've talked about in the last couple of years, that was his first game. The first batter of the first inning. When Cruz stepped to the plate, that was the first guy he had ever faced in an SEC ball game. That was the first hitter he ever faced in the SEC. And then, you know, Brandon Smith comes in. What's funny is you look, we've used five pitchers this weekend, and only one, Brandon Smith, has thrown a pitch against an SEC batter before this weekend, which is nuts because we used the two guys on Friday, three guys yesterday. But McLeod going back on Friday night, he had the change-up work, and his ability to really get out of that first inning unscathed I thought was major for him. Well, and I love the fact you go back to McLeod. I think a little bit about what we talked about all the time with Ethan Small, which is his pitch count's going to get up in a hurry. McLeod, 77 pitches, and he gives you six innings. Look, if you keep it 15 or under on average in an inning, I'd say you're pretty happy. And he was way under his average right there. Threw a lot of pitches in the first inning, but really settled down. Those middle innings, he, he was really way down in his pitch count. What is it from a men, mental standpoint for LSU? What does it have to do to you? One is, we talked about it a couple of months ago, Charlie, about the wind. The wind may be a key early in the season. You brought that up. When we did our show talking about our schedule, we were going to look through it. You said at the time, it's a good time to play LSU. Well, actually, we both did. Now, I said it for this reason. I thought LSU was going to be a team that was going to put a lot of young players on the field and would get better on the as the year went on over the course of the season. And so my thinking at the time was, let's get them before they've got the experience. Your thinking was a little bit different. You immediately said, March is a great time to play in Baton Rouge because by the time May gets here, balls are going to start flying. 
Yeah, and, and we've gotten lucky because we've had more southerly prevailing winds here early in this year than I remember in years past. But we had that cold front that came through the other day. And, hey, we didn't know this two months ago. February, early March, on into late March, a lot of times the prevailing winds in the south or out of the north, northwest, which blows in from left field at most of these ballparks. Most ballparks faced northeast. Now, Alabama, they hit a lot of home runs early in the year because their ballpark faces south. And where do these ballparks and how are they positioned? But LSU faces northeast, and so you get that northeast prevailing wind, and then late in the year everything flips and goes out of the south, southwest, and it's blowing straight out down at Alex Box. That was my line of thinking, and I, I guess I kind of got a little bit lucky, but at the end of the day, early in the year, that's what you get. And you knew with this pitching staff going down there with the wind blowing in, and another thing that plays a part of it, Charlie, that I forgot about until I started watching the first two games, is there's a lot of foul territory at LSU. There's a lot of pop flies that we've caught in foul territory so far in the first two games that would have been foul balls out of play at Duty Noble Field. And so it just plays more into a pitcher's ballpark right now. Now, let me tell you, in two months, that is a hitter's ballpark. But right now, we caught it at a good time because LSU leading the nation in home runs coming in this weekend with 33. And we have just pitched it so well. Yeah, they go from 33 home runs, they have just eight hits in two ball games. And you go back and you look, McLeod was, look, he gave you what you needed. He got through the first inning, and then he was just really, really good. And Brandon Smith, I mean, that guy can pitch. What does it do to you from a mental standpoint? And we look at the last few weeks here, okay? You think about the Oltoff guy from Tulane. You talk about you know Albright with – Kent State, and then, you know, Mice with Eastern Michigan last week. When you get in the middle innings and you've got a guy's cruising, and it may be a 2 nothing game, one nothing game, 2 nothing game, and you're down by one or two runs, it almost feels like it's insurmountable because those guys are cruising so much. So what's LSU thinking in the dugout the other night? All right, this guy's he is carving us up with his changeup. He's blowing his fastball by us. We just got to get the bullpen. Okay, we know our problems. You know, everybody else is saying, hey, we got to get the bullpen against LSU. Let's get, let's get in the bullpen. And then Brandon Smith rolls out there, and he's running that fastball over the outside corner with an arm side run, and he's throwing that good hard slider to the right-handed hitters. And you're like, huh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's got to be just a knockdown to you. And then you look at even in the game yesterday, Bednar comes out there, and you've got to be sitting there saying, man, if we can just get this guy out of here. Oh, finally, they go to the bullpen. And then we roll in with Preston Johnson, who's throwing bowling balls up there. Okay, I mean, he's a heart, just a heavy pitcher. And then Landon Sims, you're probably sitting in the LSU dugout going, goodness. How many people, by the way, when they saw Preston Johnson come in the ball game, said, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, because he's not a guy that we've seen as much. But he was unavailable early. He's a guy we'd have seen a lot more had he been available the first week and a half. You know, it was funny. On uh, Thursday, I drove down to Decatur, spent some time with my brother, and they were playing Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. And so before the game started, I had a chance to talk to Wes Thigpen, who's the head coach at Gulf Coast. And, of course, Wes was a catcher here you know, early in John Cohen's career. Great guy, great coach. And he got to talking about Preston Johnson. He said, here's the thing about Preston Johnson, even pitching in the community college league. He said the guy throws, you know, throws hard, but it's a heavy ball. And Wes, who caught Holder, says he reminds me a lot of Holder from a standpoint of all of his fastballs have downward action late. 
and it's one of those situations where if you hit it, it's just a heavy ball. And sometimes you hear Butch Thompson, some of these guys talk about it's almost like hitting a bowling ball, and that's kind of what he was. But, but Preston Johnson, you kind of wondered and worried about him going on the road in the first road game. but yeah, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't at his best. No, he was not. We've seen him better. He, he was missing high and arm side more than you wanted him to, leaving it out off the plate, but he got through it. Look, all told, it was a pretty good outing, but he can be better than he was. But to go into that environment, to go on the road, to give you two shutout innings without allowing a hit, I'll take it. Charlie, you and I have talked a lot about going into this series, and we talked about this last week, I think, on our Sunday coffee. And it may have been in our week show when we talked to Skip Burtman and Kendall Graveman. By the way, great interviews. Have a chance to go back and listen. But one of the things we talked about was getting into SEC play, it's almost like umpires have a different strike zone. Oh, my goodness. And one of the things that I worried about, especially with a Landon Sims, and Landon got squeezed last night pretty hard, but he handled it okay. You know, balls that he's used to getting called strikes, especially I thought that 2-2 pitch to Doty in the eighth inning, he thought he had strike three, and then Doty rolls that ball on the infield, beats it out for an infield single, and then Landon comes back and gets the ground ball to the third. I thought that showed a lot of moxie. One is not only you know, did you work out of a jam, but you had to work back mentally from thinking you had that guy struck out because that's a pitch you've been getting in the first month of the season. That is one thing that we have not said all year long until yesterday is we're getting squeezed. Every game that I can remember, certainly all the home games, you and I have looked at each other a couple of times and we're like, ooh, pitcher's strike zone today. There are a lot of different ways to describe it, but, hey, give him the corner. None of that was there yesterday, and that was one of my big concerns. Think back to Ty Madden in the Texas game. What was the thing that hurt Madden against us, who, by the way, has been dominant since we beat him? He could throw his fastball for a strike, but he couldn't get a called strike on a breaking pitch. And when you become one-dimensional, when you have to throw a fastball in the strike zone and the hitter knows it's coming, all of a sudden you are very hittable, even if you have Landon Sims kind of stuff. And I thought he had to really battle pretty hard. I know it's only 26 pitches in two innings, but he had some tough pitches to throw. They were all high-leverage situations. And I thought he did a really good job adjusting to, for the first time, really getting squeezed. He did. And here's here's another thing, Charlie. For a lot of people, you know, listening to this, it's really hard to get this point across because most of the games we've seen this year this team play, other than the first weekend, we've been broadcasting. And, you know, it's it's almost like flying a plane. You know what I'm saying? You've got so many different things going on when you're broadcasting a ball game. Sometimes you don't have a chance to sit back and just watch. We've been able to watch these first two games. Here's the thing that stands out to me about watching Christian McLeod and then Will Bednar. You hear the word, the term tunnel, okay? Quote, unquote, he tunnels his pitches. And what I mean by that is out of the hand of the pitcher when you start looking at different pitches, Christian McLeod's fastball tunnels extremely well with his changeup. Will Bednar, his slider tunnels extremely well with his fastball. And so out of the hand, you're seeing guys – that are kind of deer in the headlights when they're swinging. And that's some that's one of the things you don't get a chance to really hone in on and look at when you're actually calling a game. And I think that's one of the reasons those guys are so tough. It's not because they throw hard. It's not because, you know, Bednar's throwing 95 up there. It's because out of his hand, his slider is in the same arm slot 
as his fastball. And I think that's one of the reasons these guys, it's just not, we, we talk about velocity all the time, but it's not all velocity. They're well, it doesn't hurt. They're, it doesn't <laughs> it hurt. certainly doesn't hurt. No. I'll tell you, that was one of the things that scared me late in the outing yesterday for Bednar. Do you notice in the fifth, his fastball velocity, I don't know if it was the gun or if it was his arm, but he was done. Yeah. If the if the numbers on the board are to be believed, he was done because all of a sudden it was 88, 89, where you'd been seeing 94, 95. And that's what all of a sudden I was thinking, boy, get somebody going. Well, and you heard Ben McDonald talk about it. First of all, I think Ben McDonald is fantastic. Yes, yeah, so he's great. I think he is, I think he is really – really good at what he does here's what ben talked about about max effort we talked to talked to, to buck showalter about this last year about max effort guys coming in you mentioned you know bednar with losing some velocity probably in that fourth or fifth inning how many guys use max effort for three four innings now and then you get them out this is almost like the major league baseball mentality of i'm going to let a starter go five innings because what did ben bring up a couple of times the average major league starter now is throwing what four and a third, four and two thirds, and that's it. And then they're going to the bullpen. It's almost like Mississippi State. We are using kind of a major league baseball mentality of handling our pitchers and going to the back end quick. Yeah, and it's really hard to do that historically in college baseball because you haven't had enough pitchers to be able to do it. The numbers simply haven't been there. If you're the Yankees, you can throw somebody five innings, and then you've got a sixth-inning guy, a seventh-inning guy, an eighth-inning guy, and a ninth-inning guy. You can do that because if one of those gets tired, because if one of those guys gets tired or one of those guys gets hurt, you can go down to Scranton and you can bring somebody up and you can plug them in the lineup and you can keep going. There isn't a farm team to support a college baseball team. You got what you got. Oh, and you're about to bring up a good point to me. Okay, Jaden Hill threw over 100 pitches in the game on Friday. He went 106. I thought they left him out there in the eighth inning. They probably should have left him in through seven. Now, I know what LSU's thinking. Our bullpen has not been very good. Okay, that's understandable. You may you may work a guy a little bit extra, but on a cold night in the month of March, early in the season, you got to look not only at the here and now, but two months from now. And I know people are sitting there saying, hey, it's only 10 more pitches. Let me tell you this. Pitch counts when you get up over 90 are very tough on a guy, and they wear you down. That's why I can't understand what Vanderbilt's doing this weekend, what they've done with Kumar Rocker. And I know Leiter threw the no-hitter yesterday. He faced one over the minimum. But at the end of the day, man, you got guys out here in the first weekend of SEC ball, and you're throwing over 100 pitches, and you're just letting them ride, and they're throwing fastballs and curveballs. Now, you know, Leiter, like I said, pitched the no-hitter yesterday against South Carolina. But at the end of the day, we had a no-hitter going a couple of weeks ago, and that's what I really like about Scott Foxhall is if a guy's on a pitch count, you know, Bednar was on a pitch count last night, we bring him out. And I know there's differences in philosophies, but, Charlie, I can't believe you're seeing a Vanderbilt who has depth in their bullpen go with guys over 100 pitches. If you're a coach, I think you have to worry about that in three ways. Number one, it's a marathon, not a sprint, we always say. So what is going to happen to that guy in May? What's going to happen to him in June? Maybe he's fine this year. Number two, though, is what's going to happen to that guy long term? I don't know if Ben McDonald would ever admit this, but that guy threw too many innings in college. He'll admit that. Lame mess to pay. And you wonder, what does it do to that player long term? And if all of a sudden your guys are flaming out in the pros because they got thrown too much as young guys, 
then what does that do to your ability to go convince other guys to come in? I think if you establish a track record of being able to say, look, I value my players as individuals, it helps you go recruit better players. But then there's another reason. What about the guys on the bullpen who are sitting down there eating peanuts who aren't getting those innings? You're going to need them sooner or later. At what point do they suffer from a lack of work too? Because just as much in pitching as you can overthrow, you can underthrow. You have to have time on the mound to be successful, and throwing bullpens just doesn't always cut that. No, it doesn't. And I think that's one of the reasons you see in the midweek we're trotting guys out there every inning. Whether we're ahead, whether we're behind, no matter what's happening, no matter how good the guy threw. <laughs> whether you're an out away from a no-hitter. Yeah. <laughs> we made a pitching change with one out to go and a no-hitter. <laughs> okay, the thing we haven't talked about, Braylon Skinner. Oh, boy. What a night for him on Friday night. What a decision to put him in the lineup. Well, you've, you've got to get some something going in that eight spot in the order and something in left field, especially against right-handed pitching. And Skinner finally getting back. That hemate bone is finally beginning to heal a little bit. He can swing the bat. We see the pressure he can put on you with a ground ball in the infield. But him running one out of the yard the other night was somewhat of a surprise. I mean, I wasn't anticipating it at all. But then, you know, he didn't get up there his next few at-bats. After he yanks one into the metal bleachers, which Alex Box has a lot of. It's a lot of metal bleachers. He yanks one out of the yard, but then he has good bats afterward. He didn't change his approach and become a home run hitter as the game went on. To me, that was the most impressive thing. Is sometimes you get you – know, I hate to say the word luck, but, I mean, he, he's a guy who can hit one out of the yard. But he didn't change his approach at all as the game went on. I think he'll see a few curveballs today. You're not going to throw many high fastballs to him, I don't think, because he turned that one around in a hurry. That's the classic case, though, right? New guy, there's no scouting report on him. We figure he's just going to be taking a pitch or two, so let's just throw a fastball down the middle and get strike one. Yeah, doesn't work quite that well sometimes. All right, so Skinner has obviously been a positive. Are you concerned, and I think the very fact that I asked the question suggests that you should be, about the production you're getting at the one spot in the order right now? Well, what's the what's the thought process that we had? Hey, let's move to Brule up because Rowdy's having a tough time in the leadoff spot. Now, what do you say? Hey, let's move to Brule down because he's having trouble. Let's move Rowdy back. I mean, that's that's the question you have: is what are you going to do in that leadoff spot? Here's the here's the thing that stands out to me, Charlie: is how many times have we rolled out to the right side of the infield this weekend? I mean, I, I hate to be negative. I mean, you've always got that guy. It's a perfect day outside today. It's going to be 65 degrees. There's not a cloud in the sky, but you got it. That one guy's going, well, there's a lot of pollen out there. I mean, I don't want to be the negative Nancy, but, man, we have rolled out to the right side of the infield. 17 times. What? In two games, yeah. There's 14 ground balls to second base. No way. And I just thought it was a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, so now not all of those have been fielded cleanly, but we put a lot of balls on the ground towards the second baseman, some harder than others. He's made some routine plays. He's made a few that were more challenging. Uh, hit, I think, two or three to the first baseman. We are not putting the ball on the ground very often to the left side. When we have, it's kind of snuck through there. But, yeah, it's been a lot of ground balls to the right side. We aren't striking out a ton. No, we're not. We're not striking out a lot. And, you know, we've talked about that kind of a lot, too, about how when you add our hit batsmen and our walks, 
you know, we're one of the only teams in the country that's positive when you compare it to strikeouts. So, you know, you're not – you're making teams make plays. That's the positive. But we're rolling out a lot to the right side of the infield. Okay, so let's look at today. We're kind of getting down. I could talk for two hours this morning, okay? I'm excited. Let's look at today. Eric Sarantola on the mound for us. Quick hook day. <laughs> I mean, look, you've got your bullpen ready, right? You've got Sarantola. You've got Fristo. You've got Stanette. Who do you want? You've basically got them. You've got Kessler. So my thing is this. I want three innings out of Sarantola. Give me three. Who's Ellis you got? A.J. LaBoss. So LaBoss got just really rung up against La Tech early in the year. I think that was the first weekend of the year. And LSU was able to come back. La Tech kind of fell to pieces. And, by the way, how about Louisiana Tech? Beat Ole Miss and beat Arkansas. And they beat Tulane the first two games this weekend. But that's another story for another day. LaBoss has, has been a guy that's gone about 80 pitches over this last three starts. Has been much better in the last three games. He has allowed just two runs, and he's gone, you know, five or six innings in each of those. He gets hit. He strikes out about a batter an inning. So, in old days, you'd say he's a strikeout pitcher. Now, not so much. He, you put the ball in play against him. The thing that I think we've got to worry about is exactly what we just talked about a minute ago. Are you going to get early, weak contact to the right side of the infield? Think back to our ball games against Eastern Michigan. And if so, he's going to be able to keep his pitch count down and go for a while. Well, the one positive, like you just said a minute ago, I think if we get in the battle of bullpens, which Sundays normally are, is I feel good about us. What did we talk about a few weeks ago? Josh Levletti brought it up. The separation point and good and great in the SEC is what do you do in innings seven through nine? And what's the score in the sixth inning? What's the score in the fifth inning? We've had the lead in the middle innings so far in the first two games. Striking first and playing from in front is so big on Friday because it changes the way you're going to pitch on Friday night. Saturday, not as much. And now that's what holds the guns for Sunday. But, man, I'll tell you what, getting that run across the board yesterday that we just flat had to manufacture was a really big deal. Well, without a hit. A yeah. one to nothing lead. And that's the thing. One of the things that we all do as fans is we look at batting average, and it's very easy to say we can't hit, we can't hit, we can't hit. Ultimately, the object of the game is to generate runs. You'd love to have a bunch of guys hitting 300. We don't. And if you don't, what do you have to do? You have to generate some runs. You have to manufacture some. And we were able to get the run across. And I think that is so big to score first with our pitching staff that it just fundamentally changes the approach that other teams have to take. And Chris Lamonis is not a bunt guy. I mean, he's not a guy that falls in love with a bunt. But yesterday, Josh Hatcher laying that bunt down, kind of setting the tone in that game. That's a big bunt. He's not a guy that's asked to bunt a whole lot. He laid it down perfectly. We got a guy in scoring position. We end up scoring that run and getting the lead. That is so huge, especially on the road. All right, Charlie. Well, first two days have been a lot of fun, but we got one more to go. And we've been brought to you by Cannon Ford of Starkville. If you're in the market for a new or used car, go by and check them out on Highway 182, just east of Starkville, and they'll get you set up. If they don't have anything that you're looking for, they can find it for you. They have dealerships all over the state of Mississippi. But Cannon Ford of Starkville, check them out at their service center. If you need to get your oil changed, if you need to get a blinker fixed, if you need just a light bulb and your tail light is out, they can get it fixed for you. Use the body shop. Cannon Ford of Startville is where I do all of my business. Go by and see Chris King and the gang at Cannon Ford. They've got great customer service, nice people, 
and they're honest people, very honest people if you're in the market for a car. All right, Charlie, so one more to go. Play today. It's kind of like you play with house money, but would love to have a sweep down there. It's been 40 years. Been a long time. It's been a lot of fun. Appreciate you hanging out with us here on this Sunday morning for Sunday Coffee. We'll be back in the middle of the week for our Out of Left Field show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Give us a, a rating. Give us a comment. We love to hear good comments. If you got bad comments, go leave it on somebody else's podcast. But we've enjoyed it. Appreciate you guys hanging out. We'll be back later in the week for Out of Left Field.